0: I'm Laura Vinroot Pool. For over 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store in Charlotte, North Carolina. On this podcast, we unlock the stories of people's lives through the stories of what they wore. These aren't conversations about fashion, these are conversations about people.
1: Everybody wants to know her.
0: Marie-Helene Dutayek is a jewelry designer whose greatest love is the gemstone. From their energy to their spiritual meaning, her passion for gemstones is unbridled. On this episode, Marie-Helene shares more about her unique craft and the joy and harmony she finds through putting each piece of jewelry into the world. Marie-Helene Dutayek, I am so excited that you're here, and I don't know if you know, But in Charlotte, you've been coming for almost 20 years and you have clients and friends for 20 years here. But every few years, the client sort of there's this outcry that when is Maria Lynn coming back? Can we get Maria Lynn to come back? Everybody just loves to have you here.
2: That's very exciting. I didn't know, actually, that they were all craving for me. But (laughs) it's so sweet to know.
0: (laughs) They were. They always are. But it's sort of this groundswell every few years that I think this could be the year that she'll come back. And I think that there's, there's nothing like having you sell the jewelry. I mean, you... Speaking about it and you telling the stories about it is so powerful.
2: Jewelry is my passion. So when I speak about it, I speak about something I love. So I suppose it it goes through and, you know, they get excited like I get excited. You know, when I find a new stone, it's always incredible because for me, it's like a treasure hunt. Yeah. And I think for the collectors, the jewelry collectors, it's the same. When they find a piece which I was very excited about, they know it's a treasure hunt and they're going to find something which is so rare. In the beauty about what I do is that everything is kind of one-off yes because I'm uh, dependent of what what has been found in, on, in the uh, on the earth mm-hmm. you know it's incredible to think that the stone that I use it takes millions of years to produce a beautiful stone mm-hmm. and sometimes. You know, someone will walk into my office and show me this amazing thing, that amazing stone, and I get so excited about it. And the clients are the same. You know, they know that if it's come here, it's amazing that it's come here. You know, I have a lot of clients in Japan, too. And so it could have gone to another place. Yeah. And they want to be the first one to see it because they know they're going to find a, a gem.
0: I don't know that I loved jewelry until I met you. I mean, you changed my entire Brain and my entire soul and my entire love for jewelry. You you made me absolutely adore jewelry. Thank you. <laughs> when I started, I think a lot of the clients uh, I
2: met never wore jewelry. Yeah and it was before because it didn't fit with our life I think mm-hmm. I think we used to I mean we're both fashion people I love fashion you love fashion yeah. and at the time I started jewellery it was really minimalist and there was nothing which would fit with my clothes you know mm-hmm. okay there were great designers of the 70s you know I think of Elsa Peretti which I love and Din Van and but nobody had stone so I, I bought something which was much more much lighter in a way much more uh, désinvolte, I would say in French mm-hmm. uh, to, to the jewellery business uh, and maybe that's why the clients who came were people who never even thought of looking at jewelry because it wasn't them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely never saw myself in
2: jewelry until I met you. And also, um, I think I'm the first generation where women are confident enough to buy their own jewelry.
0: Which is so unusual. I mean, that, that's, a, and that's a completely different category than ever existed before, don't you think? Yeah, that, that, that makes a huge
2: difference in the choice. My jewelry is very understated. Yeah. And it's very much a, a personal pleasure. There's no social status attached to my work. Yeah. Um, so it's very much a choice of a person for themselves. I think when men choose jewelry, very uh, often it's to show power.
1: Mm.
2: And uh, they want to show that they're very powerful and that their beautiful wife is wearing an amazing piece of jewelry.
0: That, that when they, they had this job that could, have, you know, could yeah, afford, right? they could afford, yes, yeah. yes.
2: The clients who wear my work or the husband of the client who wear my work, they understand it's for the pleasure of every day and when you wear a beautiful stone I'm going back to the colored stone which I love so much uh, it changes every day it changes with the, l- the light the daylight the night light the weather it connects you constantly back to nature mm-hmm. I think for me I always say that the, the, the gemstone are, are the stars uh, of this earth mm-hmm. and uh, I think we need uh, especially in the modern world that we live in which is so disconnected we need to be connected to nature and I, I'm connected to nature when I have flowers You know, Mm -hmm. flowers. I always say that that if I have TV or flowers, I watch the flowers. (laughs) Uh, Bird is another thing. And the other thing is a gemstone. And and this is like an instant spiritual connection and a reminder that we are actually part of something much bigger and very beautiful.
0: That is really beautiful.
2: I I understood this from from a long time. I mean, I've been designing jewelry since '96, and I have many clients who are col- uh, collectors, and I think they are uh, they they a lot of the time they think my jewelry brings them good luck, uh-huh. but it's not to do with my jewelry. It's to do with the fact that uh, the stones are so special, and the stone I choose. I don't choose them because they're perfect. I choose them because they are so alive yeah and um, the, so the collectors have learned to, to choose the same thing and and then the collectors themselves charge them into so what they believe so I think that's what's happened with the work because it's it's one I mean it's one of a kind it's, every stone is unique but okay. I think the stones speak to me yeah. they do huh? it, it's very strange you see a packet of stone and why you're instantly attracted to one more than another yeah. but I s- also see it with the the, the the collectors they they will see certain amount of stone, and there will be one which will be just perfect for them. Yep. But this is why I did the book. I don't know if you remember a long time ago I did with uh, Colette when, yeah. you know, in 2000. Mm-hmm. We did something which we called the Precious Bar. Mm-hmm. And yes. we had, uh, it was downstairs. It was and, so beautiful. And we had, and I had every single possible color of gemstone. Mm-hmm. And then I had done this little book, which, I uh, have it. <laughs> Yeah, w- which um, it actually gave the, what would you say, the properties or the yes. powers of the stone. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's something that I decided to do because when I knew m- my client very well, I knew that they would always choose a stone related to their emotional state. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, it was incredible. Someone who was depressed would choose a smoky quartz which lifts you <laughs> out of depression. Someone who had a different childhood would choose a rose quartz. Mm-hmm. Someone who wanted to get pregnant would be attracted to a fire opal. So every time I had the time to actually, uh, you know, to, to, uh, talk with them and understand what was going on in their private life, I would realize that their choice uh, uh, matches what were their, their emotional state. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do this book and we did this project with Colette. And then to my horror, people did the reverse. They took the book, looked at the power of the stone. And chose that way. And chose that way. Well, in mm-hmm. fact, what I found interesting is that instinctively, we know what's going to help us feeling better, uh, feel better. So anyway, so I stop and, and I never talk <laughs> about the power of the stone anymore because I think at the end of the day people should choose and uh, huh. and what's interesting is that they choose what works for them.
0: When I was pregnant with my daughter, you chose the most beautiful huge emerald that I wore every day for the whole pregnancy. And I and I don't think I've worn it since she was born. It's I look at it, it's so beautiful, but it's not it's for a different time in my life. And another thing that happened is that I had a spectacular sapphire from you and it was stolen I was so heartbroken devastated I mean beyond really like sick and you changed my mind about that and you said it wasn't meant for you it it wasn't meant to be with you it's the right thing for it to not be there
2: yeah I learned in Japan Mm -hmm. uh, from some of my uh, clients that in Japan they say when you lose something is that something bad was supposed to happen to you Mm -hmm. and uh, you lost something to protect you and I think that's no, a beautiful way to see something. When something has to go, it's no longer. It, it shouldn't have been part of your life.
0: Yeah. Anymore. I think that. I mean, I. I don't miss it. You don't miss it. No. No, it was, it was very beautiful. Yeah, it was. I think you probably it. It was really pretty. I, I still remember <laughs> the, the stone. It was a, such
2: a beautiful pale blue. It was Very so similar pretty. to your eye. <laughs> but I also think in d- it's interesting how, in different stage of our life, we we are we want to wear certain colors and certain stones. Mm-hmm. Like I can understand what you say about the emerald, mm-hmm. uh, and I have my phases where you can see me wearing all pink, or yeah. I have my blue, <laughs> blue. I mean, all blue, all pink, all green, all. Uh-huh. And it's the same with the jewelry. It's uh, you know, it, it speaks to me. Mm-hmm. I had a phase when I was growing my business where I used to wear
0: diamond. I can't believe that. Well, yeah. no, I do remember yeah, that actually. Remember. I mean, yeah, they, they, I were they were yes. rose the cut. Yes, they were very understated. Yes, they were. But I do remember that. And uh, if you know a little bit
2: about diamond, diamond is a stone which gives you power. Yeah. People of power love to wear diamond. It was like all oh, the kings wore diamond. Uh-huh. I think in France even the, the royal family was uh, they were the only one allowed to wear diamonds huh. because you know the powers had to stay in their hand. so there, but now you never see me wearing diamonds. No I, I haven't seen you. no.' Uh-uh. It's, not, it's not an energy and I, I don't even like working on diamonds because it's so bright when you work on diamond uh-huh. that it actually you, it's difficult to see all the different nuances and
0: so it makes oh. you quite tired. Interesting. Can we start from the beginning? Will you talk about where you're from and where you grew up? You have a, a very interesting childhood. I was born in
2: Libya uh-huh. in 1964, and I moved uh, very early on to Lebanon. And your father was in the energy business, or he was a diplomat? My father worked for the French government. Yeah. <gasps> Okay. so I, right. so that's why we, we travel and uh, the we were so we left libya because of what uh, was going on Qaddafi coming in power sure. and then we moved to lebanon and a few in the 70s we had the same problem we had to leave <laughs> lebanon so uh, i think that's also shaped my uh, my childhood to the fact that i uh, had to leave every time a yeah. country and but uh, so my father was working for the government and at the time we thought okay we thought do we live in baghdad or Beirut, but my father preferred for us to be in Beirut, which was supposed to be called the Saint Tropez yes. uh, of the East. Well, and
0: Royer was there. I mean, it was.
2: I think it was a lot. Uh, it was a very fun place to be yeah. for yeah. for uh, you know for my parents, that's for for sure. For us, <laughs> it was great because we had a uh, you can be you can be by the sea, so you can go swimming every day, it's, and and we could be uh, skiing. Yeah. one hour away you can go skiing so it was amazing you can swim in the morning ski in the afternoon mm-hmm. so that's quite exceptional but um, I have to tell you a little bit about my family I think I'm quite a, a mixture my grandmother was Scottish uh, head of a Scottish clan, and, and my f- and my f- my grandfather is a descendant of uh, one of the three musketeers, mm-hmm. uh, Portos Yeah. So uh, and I come from Gascony, uh, and it's somewhere where I uh, love to go. That's where whenever I need to. Um, you know, rest, I would go to, to the, the Gascony.
0: When you were little and you lived in Africa, would you come back in the summers to Gascony? I would come back every summer to the southwest of France. Not to Gascony because my,
2: when my grandfather was alive, we uh, we would make too much noise. We were three girls. <laughs> three and girls very, and a boy yeah, in Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> very noisy, and I think he, he was an older gentleman and he didn't like us to be there, so we would just come and visit. But uh, the day uh, he passed away, quite young, so my father and Harry to the family house and we would go every summer.
0: I know you have a complicated relationship with living in France, I think mostly because of the light. I think it's hard for you. I I have a complicated relationship with living with Paris. Yeah. It's interesting, but not so much France. I I, love
2: the country in France. mm You know, when, when I was a smaller and we would be in, in France, summer was like a very happy time. We would have a long holiday and I'd be with my other grandmother mm-hmm. on my mother's side, who was a beautiful woman. Yeah. And her mother was also an incredibly elegant woman. Mm-hmm. So I think I learned a lot from, uh, yeah. from them. And we used to fancy dress a lot. Mm-hmm. My older sister, who, uh, Sophie, who was... Um, uh, who eventually was come Garçon uh, Comde Garçon Pierre for a long time. When we, when I was age maybe five, she would organize fashion show when <laughs> fashion wasn't so, you know, yeah. prêt-à-porter was probably just starting. And she would, so we would fancy dress with all the beautiful clothes of my grandmother that we trash. When I think <laughs> of it, I'm like so upset <laughs> that they let us play with all the beautiful bias cut, uh, beanie dresses. But anyway, that was. Part of learning about fashion, and we would do fashion show, and that was a that was a bigger uh, event.
0: Did your mother and grandmother wear jewelry? Um, my grandmother wore a lot of jewelry,
2: mm-hmm. and my mother she had some jewelry from my father's side. And she, um, what was interesting again, growing up in the, you know, in the early seventies, is that people were were more creative, mm-hmm. so they would go. She, I mean, my mother would go to her dressmaker. Uh, and she would get her dresses made, mm-hmm. which was fun, which you learn uh, in Beirut. And she would be out every night. And she would also go to the jeweler. Mm-hmm. So my one of my first memory of stone is going to the jeweler in Beirut, mm-hmm. where probably my mother was taking a stone out from a ring to get another different ring made more up to her taste. And the jeweler gave me a little sapphire mm-hmm. and a little ruby. And I was so excited. And of course, I I love them. And then afterwards, I love them (laughs) because they were so tiny. But uh, so that's one of my first memory of Jewry. And the other memory of Jewry that I have is when they went to Iran. And again, it was before the revolution. Mm. So the the treasure of the Shah of Iran was exhibited at the time. And they brought back all the postcards. Uh, of the jewelry. And I remember every single piece. And, uh, and uh, I mean, to this day, if I see a picture from the crown jewels uh, of Iran, I always know where it's from. How interesting. And that probably started my love. That and my mother's mother, my grandmother, who was always really into her Jewish. She would always have like a, she had a big gold bracelet with lots of coins, uh-huh. a coin for every um, place she visited. No, for, a coin for every year of her. She had five, uh, five kids, uh-huh. and she had nineteen uh, grandchildren. So every kid had a yeah. Uh, and, yeah.
0: The sounded, yeah. And, and the way it sounded. And, and the way it sounded. So for me, jewelry. Because that's one of the first things yeah, I remember about you is sound. your bangles, yeah, yeah, and the way they sounded. And you had the bell and the one, mm-hmm. yeah. So I
2: think a uh, sound injury is really important, too. So mm-hmm. I could hear my grandmother coming even before she was <laughs> there because of the bracelet.
0: Exactly. You're one of three girls and a, and a brother. All of you are creative, I think. Me and my two older sisters, um, we really grew up
2: together. Mm-hmm. And then by 20, the age of 25, my mother had three daughters. Mm-hmm. And then for 10 years, uh, she, you know, she just... Uh, she 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 stopped and then by <laughs> she, she was thirty five she was like oh I would love to have another baby so she had my sister Victoire yeah and then my brother Pierre yeah. five years later so in fact it's a bit like two family yeah and um, at the time I was uh, we were growing up we were lucky to be um, in Paris and the fashion was very exciting mm. and my elder sister started working for Kenzo uh, early on but she was more on the PR side. Mm. And then Gabrielle was working for Willie Ware, Willie Smith, another oh, brand. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's from yeah. South Carolina, I think. Is he? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was quite an, uh, incredible and I went uh, I was fascinated with Jewish so I went to London early on to study English 18? study yeah, uh, 17, 17. I all, to start to study I wanted to study at yourG in New York and of course I enjoyed uh, London fashion so much that I stayed back for ten years
0: you loved London I mean I you had a you worked for very interesting people tell me about that I was lo- so I went to I had a um, English course. Mm-hmm. Which of course
2: I hated. I thought the people (laughs) in the class, especially coming from uh, London, uh, I thought you know that it was it was in Victoria and it was really depressing. Mm. And uh, so I met Nikki Butler from Butler Wilson. Yes. and we we just got talking and in, within five minutes he offered me the job <laughs> and he said he'd never done that to, to anyone his, in his lifetime so I started working this amazing costume jewelry store mm-hmm. where everyone would come in and we'd have uh, Faden away but we'd have Princess Diana we'd have uh, wow. uh, we had the most amazing we had the, the, the Ray Patry and the Buffalo Boys and mm-hmm. and Nick in, and it was, he was friendly with everyone and it was a great crew so I loved working for him uh, I learned a lot about jewelry then and I would be wearing a lot it's at that time that i met hamish Hmm. and hamish in the in in my book he he said that uh, i was the first chic person he met (laughs) and i think so you know there was a contrast between paris and london and in paris you know it was quite uh people would really dress up yeah but in london they didn't so uh, i was coming with my french style to london and you never
0: wavered i mean you you stuck with it i mean i think probably traveling so much as a child you were very sure about who you were
2: no, I think I was not confident, but I I, um, I believe uh, Bill Cunningham says that uh, fashion is the armor to survive the reality of everyday life. Yeah. And for me, it's something that I do all the time. I think I'm quite, I don't like having attention on myself. Uh, and uh, fashion is my form of expression, mm-hmm. and it's a form of protection also. Mm-hmm. So when I was younger, I think I would, uh, people would not dare to approach me. They thought I was very confident. I was not confident at all. <laughs> but the Clothes were like um, protection,
0: but they yeah. say so much about who you are. I mean, you, I, I, I fell in love with you the minute I saw you. <laughs> yeah. When did we meet? her I was Lisa, through, it was in it was your old apartment, um, yeah. right on the Tuileries.
2: I fell in love with you too. You were <laughs> so wonderful, uh, such a good style. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I work. So I work. From Philip, to work to you worked for
0: Philip Tracy too. I work for Philip Treacy, which I think is pretty interesting because I think it is—it's that sort of uh, around the face, and Mm. um, it's it's sort of similar to jewelry, really. Sculpture, yeah, sculpture.
2: Um, I, uh, it's when I worked for Philip that I thought I really want to do something that I'm very passionate about. Mm. I would come in in the morning, and Philip was, is slightly younger than me, and he was just out of the Royal College of Art, mm. but he was already designing. As he was designing for Chanel when he was at the Royal College of Art, then he was designing for. Uh, he did uh, Valentino, Versace. He would do everyone, mm. and I would come in in the morning, and he'd work all night, and he would. I, I would discover the most amazing hats, and I just thought I want to be at. As passionate as him i want to find something so eventually yeah. after working with him for maybe a year and a half mm-hmm. i decided that i i, I needed to to uh, you know to take some time off to decide what was what, what would be my passion would it be jewelry would it be uh textile which is another thing i love or design i have a lot of friends in the designer uh, world
0: and you worked um, with lucien palette Venet did you
2: i worked for with a once uh, uh, when uh, when i took my sabbatical okay yeah, yeah. lucia is a friend of uh, a friend of, was a friend of my uncle when i met him when i was 14 in london in
0: uh, oh, in paris. In, uh,
2: paris in gascony he came to oh, stay really? with us in the oh. summer huh and uh, and we we got on very well instantly and he get, he used to send me for uh, for valentine he would be, he'd send he would be designing jewelry yeah. and he sent me some jewelry and it would be like be my valentine and i was 14 and you know i don't know <laughs> he's a bit older than me but uh, we just connected always and so he helped me at the beginning uh, i helped him when he started his brand he started his brand when he was 50 and i was really? there, yeah and i was there to do the selling with him yeah. and he thought that he was uh, he didn't have a good color sense because uh, lucien has an amazing color sense but everyone but it's very bright Mm. and everyone has always told him that he had a bad color sense Hmm. but um because i think that i mean that's the most beautiful thing about his sweaters (laughs) exactly and at first the first collection was navy beige white and black because he was frightened and then eventually it came out of him and he did the most beautiful colors. So I was doing the selling for him. And when I did my first collection, eventually when I decided to uh, actually finally, you know, go for it and <laughs> m- make a, you know, show my creative work, I uh, I showed him the collection and he was the first one to say, I want to show it with my sweaters. Oh, wow. So he invited me to be in his showroom and he used to be staying in this amazing apartment, mm-hmm. Rue de Rivoli, mm-hmm. and um, it used to be Madeleine Vionnet's apartment. Wow. And I think I wonder if Louise de Villemorin, that was a connection with Louise de Villemorin also on that place. So I showed the collection to Barney's. That was in '96, yeah. and my first order was a hundred and twenty thousand dollar. Wow. I was so, uh, you know, like I fainted when it came by fax, because at that time we were still working with, uh, in fax.
0: You decided that you needed to pursue something that you were passionate about, but you didn't know what it was yet. I, I, I mean, I always had a love of
2: jewelry. And if you speak with my sisters, they would tell you yeah. that they always knew I would do jewelry. I wasn't sure if it was going to be jewelry or textile. or I knew I wanted to work in Asia. Yeah. I had been to India in 89 and that, that had left a very strong impression mm-hmm. on me. And I had actually made a, a, a few pieces of jewelry when I was there in 89. I mm-hmm. was a jeweler in Jaipur at the time. And, uh, and uh, we were supposed to stay in Jaipur just for two days. And in fact, we stayed a week because we I, I love the city. Yeah. And we stayed in the hotel which is where I live now. Wow. Which is quite really? a, yeah, it's like a full circle. India for me keeps me on my toes. Yeah. Because they have a different way of seeing life. And many times it's very surreal. You know, I, it, I laugh a lot. I mean, when I see before Eid, you, uh, they, they are taking the, the little goats and they're actually taking the goats home on their bicycle. So they're, they're, you know, they're carrying the goats on the handlebars. The first time you sing, you sing like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sober today, but why am I seeing everybody carrying a, a goat on the bicycle? And this is one of the, you know, it was for Eid. And then eventually you, you learn. But everything, I think life is can be so hard because, of course, uh, many people are, you know, uh, living below the poverty level that they really... Um, uh, and they really celebrate life every day because they don't know what's happening tomorrow. So that sense of joy is there a lot, and especially in the celebration. So if you've ever been to India for a festival, be a Holi or be Diwali, or mm-hmm. those are very special moments. So I fell in love with India, but in, don't forget I grew up in Lebanon, yeah. and there is this warmth of uh, the Arab country, there's incredible hospitality, which uh, I, I found very difficult when I moved to Paris, because I was so used to yeah. uh, in Beirut, but same in India, you, you know, you're you always are friends, and you said, oh, um, you're supposed to go to someone's for dinner, and you said, you know, I've got f- five friends, can I bring them? <laughs> In, In Lebanon, India, they would that's say, normal, yes. yeah. In India, it's normal. Yeah. In Paris, you know, it would be like everything would be so. Uh, <laughs> it's not possible. It's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. Which is their
0: favorite thing to yeah, say. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. No, the French like to say non, no. No. <laughs> no. C'est pas possible. C'est pas possible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that first time you were there for the week, did you meet Manu there? Or Not did you go 89. to visit the gym palace then? Not in 89. I, I met Munu when I, I did my
2: sabbatical and I traveled in, in, in Asia. I traveled in Asia, in Asia to see all the different crafts. So yeah. I spent a lot of time in, I was in uh, Thailand. I was in, I, I first I started in Japan uh-huh. uh, with Philip Tracy. We yeah. did the first show in Osaka. And then I traveled around uh, the, uh, Asia. I spent a lot of time in Bali, which I love. And uh, but I, I wasn't excited about the craftsmanship. It's only when I walked into the Gem Palace, yeah, uh, in uh, nineteen ninety six, and I saw the stone cutting room, oh. that I saw. This is why I you know I understood. And. Munu was someone who really wanted to um, uh, to change the vision of jewelry. I mean, even so, he was such a brilliant uh, designer of classic Indian jewelry. Mm-hmm. He wanted to change and uh, make uh, the craftsman evolved. I could see that it was possible and it was interesting for him to do something different. Mm-hmm. And he was already doing something different on his own. And with me, he got excited because the concept of the jewelry was different.
0: And tell me about your life there. How much of the year are you there? And... What's it like? I spend
2: about three and a half months of the year uh, there. Not enough. I would love to spend more. Mm-hmm. But um, but my son is in school in Paris, so yeah. I have to share. And I, I live in an amazing old uh, hotel, which is known Palace. Mm-hmm. So I start the day... Sometimes I have peacock on my terrace, uh, which is so beautiful. Then I go down, uh, I, they have a swimming pool, so I go swimming in the garden, and there's going to be monkeys and parrots, and, and the noise also. There's so many birds in India, I love the noise of the birds. So that's like my piece of the morning. And then uh, I, I go to the workshop, and I have this table which is covered in gems, and I spend all day. Uh, and you sit on the floor i sit on the floor we yeah. have a uh, we work the traditional way we have mattresses because if the stone fall you don't want them to break so we have white mattresses white sheet you don't want the color uh, of what's around you to take away from the stone so mm-hmm. everything has to be white it looks like a, a lab in mm-hmm. a way yeah. and uh, and i have this table covered of stones mm-hmm. and munu always used to say that i was when i was around i would bring color to the room yes uh, <laughs> because I work with a lot of cold stone, which not everyone does, and it's my passion. And I also remember when I first started doing my jewelry and, you know, choosing all the stones, he said, you know, but Marie-Hélène, is it really what you want to do? You want to choose every stone? And I was like, yes, this is what I love to do. And it's a very meditative work, mm-hmm. I think. I think you just spend time uh, trying to find one stone which is going to make the next stone more beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's something there's not an answer because, uh, you know, it's not like when you do puzzle and you've got to find the right piece. It's more like doing a painting. Mm-hmm. So it's something I really,
0: really love doing. I know that you inspire the workers too. I mean, I think that you've probably changed the way they think about things because it's a different way of working. I think
2: uh, I challenge them because yes. I, I, because I don't come from a family of jewelry mm-hmm. I don't have preconceived idea of what's possible or not mm-hmm. and I always i'm always trying to push them to do something different we um, all the i started with a briolette and at the time nobody was calling briolettes mm-hmm. in a semi precious stone it was diamond and emerald and rubies and maybe sapphire but it, it wasn't heard of mm-hmm. and I was also i always loved the Indian technique of drilling stones because yeah. it meant the stone is free Mm-hmm. And I'm quite a free person. <laughs> I always say that uh, my biggest luxury is my freedom. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so so I think the craftsmen they, they enjoy it. Also, I believe in in life. If you um, if you're very passionate about something, and if you really if it's very important to you then you pass on this passion to the people around you. Mm -hmm. In Japan, when I did the events, uh, many times I've worked all night on the setup of the exhibition, and I think the the craftsmen who were working there, helping, you know, they were amazed, but they were so happy to do it because Mm -hmm. then it means their work
0: is worth something
2: that people are appreciative.
0: Yeah, I do think India and Japan have such a different reverence for work and craftsmanship than anywhere. Yes, and you have such a huge following in Japan. I know you have mm-hmm. stores there. Yes, I have. So it, it's interesting because in
2: Japan uh, they have this uh, theory of the um, uh, the living treasure, and they really cherish the craftsmanship. And I think the craftsmen are, you know, probably do the same piece again and again, and they're so rigorous. And they believe they become masters when they're much older. In India, they also have amazing craftsmanship, but they don't. Um, they love. They're very creative. So sometimes I would get them to do the same piece which I've done all those years and it comes out and it's completely different. And sometimes it's fantastic and sometimes it's a disaster. But I think they have it in them. They are a very, very creative culture and they love decorating everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's a pleasure, a pleasure for a creative person to work with them because they have an input. Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen how they decorate their trucks, they decorate the front of the house, they decorate anything and they, they like, like to embellish. Clothes, yeah. Yeah, 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 and and that makes it exciting. Where well, in Japan it's more austere, mm-hmm. but it's just more about the perfection of things, mm. perfection. But they believe that you know the uh, wabi sabi concept that the beauty uh, mm. uh, is in the imperfection, and it's something I believe too.
0: Do you have a favorite stone?
2: Oh, this is such a difficult question. I know. <laughs>
0: <It's> like children. <laughs> I,
2: I have a few favorite stones. Um, I, I, I have some favorites of yours. <laughs> I suppose the stone that I'm the, the most fascinated with is a tourmaline. Oh, really? Because there is a, in if you look inside the tourmaline, for me, there is a world. Mm-hmm. It's It has okay. amazing inclusion. It can be like little rainbows or glitter. Or, so um, the extreme in the tourmaline would be the Paribas tourmaline, which is a color I love because it's a blue lagoon. And it's, a. I want to dive in my, I have, <laughs> I'm wearing a Paribas tour today. It's a, my favorite stone. And I, it's always been, ever since childhood, my favorite color. Really? And it's something, uh, it's, you know, the, the way it shines, it's amazing. I want to be, to dive in it, yeah. so tourmaline is a stone that I'm fascinated just because it's the what's inside, but also because of all the different shades of color. Mm-hmm. It can be the most amazing yellow. It can be a beautiful blue. It can be grey. It can be pink, and the other one, which also has amazing colors, and it's a spinel that we were talking about. Yeah. So that there's two stones, but there's a third stone which I love too. Sapphires, like like you, you do, yeah. sapphires again the colors and the quality i mean the range are, yeah the range what's inside the silks it's so beautiful it is
0: like a whole world
2: yeah. isn't it and emerald i i, emerald. Emerald. I don't use so much <laughs> but for me the most beautiful stone is emerald so beautiful. so beautiful but it's so rare and so difficult to find and it's but it's really like water and it's a it's a lampid would be the word in front i mean it's there's something very it's like a floor, but maybe because it's green and green is nature. What I love is, uh, I don't know if you've... Seen, I mean, I, I, you know, you have been wearing my <laughs> my little parrots. I love yes. when I have the craftsman who, out of a piece of stone, um, makes, um, make coming to life, uh, an animal. You know, yeah. he's making the parrot and he makes a scroll and he makes a panther. Mm-hmm. And I find that really amazing, the skill. It's something I would love to know how to do is to actually cut the stone. Yeah. I never did it, but I think eventually one day I will not be so shy. And I sit down at the wheel and learn from
0: one of the guys to cut. How did you get Westerners to understand or to appreciate inclusions and the imperfection? I mean, you're the first person I think I've ever seen do that. And I suppose that, that my client
2: could see the beauty that I could see inside it. I think maybe people were discovering them before. Mm. But um, um, I don't think anybody ever did that before, though. Before you... I think if you look at, I was looking like for example at Belle Peron, and I love yeah. her work and if you look at some of the even the jewelry that's on the cover I think it's a big ruby necklace on the cover mm-hmm. and the stone is so imperfect it's oh, just really? A, the taste of the Place Vendôme which is you yeah. know the high jewelry right. became purer and purer and purer uh, the, the jewelers um, and mean, Belle Perron was
0: a woman Belle
2: Peron was a woman yeah. and she was the most talented jeweler yeah. and she really influenced everyone in the Place Vendôme but you have to remember that okay uh, the business of jewellery is very dependent on the clientele we're right. dealing with uh, the raw material that's so expensive that you have to design according to your clientele yeah. and uh, in the 1920s or uh, 1910 we had the, the Indian would come with their stones uh-huh. and t- if you look at the jewellery of that time or even a bit later there's an amazing jewellery there's an exhibition now at the Musée des Arts Décoratifs about mm-hmm. the marriage of Indor and he just had some amazing pieces design. Right. So the so the stones were included. They didn't mind the inclusion. The stones were beautiful. I think what changed a lot in the jewelry industry was when the in the seventies mm-hmm. when the oil money came in from the Arab world. Yes. And it wasn't so much about the design, it was about the value of the stones. Right. It was again a social status. Mm-hmm. And that's when the if I look at the you know the archive of all the big houses of that time, mm-hmm. the jewelry became not so interesting. Right. Because the stone had to be perfect. But before that, they would use stone which were imperfect and they would find a way to use them. Mm-hmm. So I think I just went back on what we always, uh, what was always there is use stone, use stone for the beauty of them and mm-hmm. not worry about the imperfection. I was talking to this friend of mine, uh, Jill Wolf, mm-hmm. who has um, uh, a beautiful store in Geneva and she's a real jewelry person. She was, I think she, she worked at Christie's and she worked for some. Uh, big diamonds, uh, big stone dealer. Mm. And they told her, the first thing they told her that if there is an um, inclusion, it shouldn't disturb the eye. Mm. So I think there there are inclusions. distract, yeah. Distract. There are inclusions that I will never pass. And some which I find is actually enhance the stone and make it more beautiful and mm. more lively. And uh, sometimes I find stone which are too perfect, and for me they're so boring. It's mm. like beauty. Yeah. You know, you can see a beautiful woman with completely perfect, but there is no charm and and you you fall out of love really fast when there's something off um it's fascinating and it's why you become more and more attracted to that and mm-hmm. it's the same for the stone yeah that, that's why, in a way, I'm I'm sad that now that the standard of perfection is so high in beauty because it's everybody looks the same and it's not interesting. What's yeah. it's a it's a difference which is, makes it interesting. It's the imperfection.
0: You're here in Charlotte tonight. We're having a um, supper and with our clients and also to celebrate the launch of your new book, Gold and Gems. Can you tell me about the process and what what it was like? So uh, I
2: felt it was uh, time to do the book because I make a lot of one-off pieces mm. and the one-off pieces uh, get sold very fast and mm. nobody sees them. So I thought it would be good for the people who love my work that they have access to pieces they've never seen.
1: Mm.
2: And also, um, I felt I've been working designing for what, now over 23 years and I see the younger generation, they, they think that c- certain things have always existed, but they didn't <laughs> exist. You know, when I started jewellery, there's a lot of things which... Uh, I invented, which have influenced uh, in many ways the jewelry industry. Absolutely. And uh, their, uh, you know, their origin comes from my work, but nobody knows about it because I'm not, uh, I'm mm-hmm. a small brand. I don't advertise. So I felt it was it was about time to actually show uh, where things came from. Mm-hmm. And I I was uh, I really wanted the book to put um, things in there in their, well, I mean, it would be historic historical context because it's only 23 years but I I did the book in chronological order of Mm -hmm. design and I also put the dates uh, of every piece because it's something that when I look at someone's work be jewelry or be art I want to know when at what time they were thinking about this this is why when we're talking about Bel- belperron it's someone, it's fascinating, but you could say that about Charlotte Perriand's work or, right. you know, there are people who are so forward thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think it's always important to put a date to something. So uh, so that, that's one of the reasons I did the book. The other one is I, f- I really wanted people uh, to have the, the, the courage to do their own passion mm-hmm. and to read my story and to think, I can do it too. And uh, for me, my greatest achievement is that a few of my assistants have started their own business. Mm -hmm. And it it means that I... I made them think that it was possible to have run a business as a woman and to manage and mm-hmm. to be successful, and, and that's great. And I think more people need to pursue their passion mm. because it's so important. We spend most of our uh, time at work, and you have to wake up in the morning and you have to be happy to go to work. You've you've pursued your passion. I mean, and yeah. it, you feel it when you're in the store. It's a very special store. It's very the world. It's your world. It's very colorful. It's very happy, <laughs> uh, and it, it, it's making a lot of people happy. Yeah. And that you know when when you share something you love it brings a lot of happiness and when you bring harmony to the world too that uh, that i think is in very important so for the, for, the for, for putting the book together for me it was like showing that it's possible to do what you want to do and you know you don't have to um, not everybody can like what you do, but the people who like it, they really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, they are touched by one by someone who's trying to do something different and personal. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I hope you know also how much joy you've brought to so many people. To me, especially, <laughs> you, you've you've brought so much beauty and joy into the world. We're so grateful. Thank you. we always ask what the guests wore to the prom, and I don't think they had the prom in Beirut. I'm imagining. <laughs> <I> <laughs> At the French school, maybe pr- they did. I never
1: <laughs>
2: had a prom. I, I remember the first party that I had to go to was my elder sister. I think she had a, a, a ball on a boat in Paris, and how old was she? Was she 18? And we had to wear Laura Ashley, oh. my sister. And I, <laughs> I know we were all wearing Laura Ashley. It was in the 70s, and I hated those dresses. <laughs> So I don't like them now. <laughs>
0: have, you, have you ever talked to Jane Pendry
2: about it? <laughs> no, but when she came to my house in the country, that there was a, this amazing wallpaper, which was a Laura, a Laura Ashley, and she was so happy because it's something that she had worked on. Oh wow! Yeah, and she was and oh. she had really pushed them to re-edit it. And when she saw that the whole living room is made with her wallpaper, she was happy. I love For it. For those dresses, no, I hated wearing my.
0: Do you remember Laura what color? No, you hated it. Uh, um, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite dress?
2: Do I have a favorite? A time the, when you
0: felt most beautiful?
2: No, I suppose it's always the latest one. You know, then it, I wish it would that that um, effect of being the favorite dress and make you feel so good would last. Mm. This is one thing I don't understand, and I wish I would uh, be able to make it last longer. <laughs> but there are some clothes where you feel like you're over the moon, mm. and then you know, a year later, it just doesn't work. <laughs> And it's a shame, <laughs> because it was a nice feeling. Yes. Thank you, marie Thank you very much. It was a, such a pleasure.
0: What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drasda.